Christ above us, Christ below us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ beside us, Christ be with us. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever heard of any of these actors or actresses? Don't, you don't necessarily have to raise your hands. Leon Rippey. Leon Rippey? Chris Cooper. Maybe you've heard of Chris Cooper. Yeah. Um, how about this one? Rain or Shine. That's a real person. Yeah. Um, Melissa Leo's one. You probably saw her in, in the Academy Awards. Um, Stanley Tucci. Yeah. So there's actors and actresses that you'll see in movies. And you'll see them in a lot of movies. And they'll have good roles, but you might not see them um, identified as starring in the movie. You know, they're supporting actors, right? And there's a lot of actors, and my favorite one is a man named Stephen Root. I see some of you shaking your head. Stephen Root is a fantastic actor, um, could do anything, very versatile, great character actor. And, and whenever you see him, you go, oh, there's that guy, right? And there's a lot of actors and actresses like that out there where you go, oh, there's that, that lady. She's in all, that, all the movies that I see. And, and, and I don't know if any of you, any of you in here have ever uh, worked in film before, or, or television, um, and I know some of you have out here, and, and I have, uh, and if you haven't, uh, All Saints is working in film and television sometimes. Um, and in fact, if you see Bad Moms 2, <laughs> there's a scene in here. Now, I'll tell you something about that process. We'll get, we don't let anyone shoot, just anyone shoot in here. Like, for instance, there was a film project that was going to shoot here a while back, and they gave us the script, and it was all about this box that was going to sit on the altar in this church, and it was going to um, suck the priest down into hell. <laughs> and, and we just kind of went, no. <laughs> you know, because it's an altar. But then in Bad Moms 2, um, they call each other some unpleasant names, but however, in that scene, they all make up and they reconcile. And, and the way I defended it was, do you mean to tell me that you believe that no one has ever called each other unpleasant names in this church? <laughs> Even on a Sunday morning or especially on a Christmas Eve. Ooh, buddy. <laughs> and so, uh, it, but if you've ever seen a film crew out in the city, and it's hard to go a day without seeing one, what do you notice? There's an army around there. I live in Inman Park, and we're shooting movies all the time in Inman Park, and it's kind of gotten to be a nuisance. But, um, but you, uh, there'll be a scene with two people sitting on the front steps, and there will be hundreds of people gathered around. Orson Welles once said, it takes an army to shoot a movie, and it does. And any one second you watch in film, there are hundreds, if sometimes not thousands, of people behind the scenes making sure that that scene goes off. There are so many different jobs in a movie. Um, there's a person in a movie set whose one job is to lay down things on the floor that don't damage the floor. And there's all these actors that create, and, and technicians that create this great supporting crew and cast of a movie. And one of the things that we miss out on a great day, day like this in the gospel is that um, there's this great storyline um, in, in Samuel today and this wonderful storyline in Jesus. And I don't know about y'all, but 
when I first read the story of David and Bathsheba, I was in third or fourth grade. And let me tell you, we had a great talk in the car on the way home. So, parents, yeah, get ready. Um, But what do we center on when we read the story of David and Bathsheba? Who's the character we center on? Well, we center on David, and we kind of talk about Uriah, too. But who do we miss out on in this story? We miss out on Bathsheba, don't we? And... You know, it's the habit of the people who often record and write history that, that they get to write it, uh, write history and write scripture as they get to write it with their perspectives. And I don't know if this is news to any of, any of you, but we're pretty sure the people that recorded scripture were mostly dudes. And so this, this, this story centers on David and his sin. And Bathsheba, she has one line in the scene. I'm pregnant. And David doesn't even respond to it with any kind of decency, does he? And so we totally miss out on her perspective, don't we? There, there are a number of, there's countless women in Scripture who don't even have names. I have a friend, uh, Emily Scott, that I know, an acquaintance really, and she's trying to start a Lutheran church in Maryland, and she wants to name it um, after uh, a, a female character in, script, in Scripture, but she said, is there a way I could name this church after someone who doesn't have a name in Scripture? Um, and we miss out on these supporting players in Scripture. And Bathsheba is silenced in this story. And, and let's take for a moment and think about, uh, let's take a moment and think about what happens to her in the process of the story. Um, she's a married woman. Um, she is really coerced and taken advantage of by the king. You know, what we know about uh, power is that if you are pulled into that kind of relationship with someone and there is such a huge power deferential between you, whether or not you think you were willing, there was still coercion at work. So this story has a deep, deep injustice in it, and that could be an entire sermon, and that's not where I'm going with this today. But what I want us to notice is that there's also other supporting players in this story. Think of the servants who had to keep this secret. Think of the servant who probably dictated, the scribe who dictated, was dictated to by David as he wrote the letter to Joab. Think of all the people who had to keep this little secret, all the ladies who, who waited on Bathsheba and had to go with her to the kings who knew what was going on and were at the heart of this story. All the supporting players that were drawn into this plot that David did that we just forget about, that disappear from the story because they are not named. There's this great Jesuit practice of reading Scripture that I commend to all of you this week. And, and this is a good Scripture to do this with where you can read a story over and over and in each time you read it, take the perspective of a different character in the story. And you can even take the perspective of an inanimate object in the story. The perspective of the quill that wrote the letter murdering Uriah. Uh, the perspective of Joab receiving the letter, the perspective of one of David's servants of a tapestry hanging on the wall as all this went on. All these silent members of the story, this cast that were involved in this plot and drawn into this evil and made complicit by David in this story that we uh, forget about. And it shows us something about the pattern of evil done by the powerful, doesn't it? That sometimes it radiates outward and makes us all 
complicit sometimes, doesn't it? And we all have to draw those lines in our lives that, that, that uh, help us to figure out whether or not we are complicit and how complicit we are and how supportive we are of the kind of evil done by powerful people. But that is kind of how evil done by the powerful works, doesn't it, sometimes? It draws us all in. And we hear time and again, great evil is done when good people do nothing. And we feel convicted to move forward and to bring our gifts to somehow shift the course of that evil. And great movements are born out of individuals feeling uh, drawn into some issue or drawn into addressing some great evil. And worlds can change. And some of you have done this work here. Don't get me wrong. We have things like threads and refugee ministries here that then we begin to see the work of the gospel happening because the gospel really gives us the opposite view here, doesn't it? The disciples come to Jesus and say, all these people are hungry, what are we going to do? Jesus shows great leadership here. Because he could have just, you know, maybe snapped his fingers and had a whole meal on the ground. But he turns to Philip. There's that great line where he says, he he did it to test him. He says, I don't know, what are we going to do? And Philip has that great line. Well, you know, very practical and empirical here. A a year's salary isn't going to feed these people. So, you know, we can't do anything. You know, he kind of gives up. And then Jesus says to Philip, it's this wonderful moment. Well, we'll make them all sit down. And then suddenly this child... Uh, comes forward, this person comes forward with bread and fish, and suddenly Jesus is able to multiply that bread and fish into enough food for everyone. And of course, that could have been a miracle of of the, the bread and fish kind of materializing and multiplying on its own. The version of this I like uh, to read is that says that, because, you know, make no mistake, people would not have left home around Passover without food, was that when the boy comes forward and shows his generosity. What's, what happens? The generosity becomes contagious, and people start coughing up the food that they have and sharing their bread and their fish, and suddenly everyone is fed. And so we see in this supporting cast now this unnamed boy and these named disciples, this, this way the gospel works in the face of things like hunger and even in the face of of things like great evil, that Jesus suddenly um, it can empower us to do something about it and to bring the gifts that we have forth and to bring the gifts that other people have forth and let someone as humble as a child then create ministry and food for an entire multitude. And you know, what really represents empowerment to me is not that you just go to a church that does great ministry. What represents empowerment to me is that all of you realize what great ministers that you are. That all of you recognize your ministry and bring forth the things that you have to feed the world as a result of how you see Jesus in this place. So in the in the coming weeks, I want you to, to do a couple of things. I want you to read the Scripture differently, thinking about these supporting players. And I want you to read 
uh, your lives differently, thinking about all the supporting players that you have in your life. Because I see all of you, you've made it to certain ages, and all of you survived adolescence, didn't you? And when you think back to that age, you've got to shake your head and think, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, all of us had hundreds if not thousands of people who supported us, who were our supporting players, who pushed us forward. And there are people out there who do not have a supporting cast, who do not have multitudes of people supporting them and helping them, and that we can take our gifts that God has given us and then share them with them, not so that they can just be in receipt, but that they, so they can join us in the good and holy work, being God's supporting players. Amen.